Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody again. I know it's been a while. If you're new to Southwinds, let me introduce myself. I'm Pastor Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been gone for a few weeks with study leave and some vacation. And then last, uh, last Sunday, I was in the uh, Houston, Texas area uh, doing a wedding for uh, old uh, family friends. And uh, evidently, I brought back um, some Texas bugs with me. So you can pray for my voice that I'll make it through this. I'm still kind of coming out of of whatever I picked up while I was there. But uh, we're in a series, been in uh, all summer, called This Changed My Life. Uh, This is my first time to be part of this series. And today, uh, I want to talk to you about a habit. And this is a habit that has changed my life really more than anything else over the last almost 40 years. Uh, In many ways, this this habit is the reason that I'm standing before you today. It is the habit of Bible intake. And I'm going to explain what that means in a few moments, but before I get to that, I want to recognize that maybe talking about a habit might not sound too interesting. You know, we tend to think of habits as kind of bad things, you know, all of our bad habits or we think of habits as boring things, just the, the stuff we do again and again and again. But if you stop and think about it, habits really are immensely important. Our habits make up who we really are. In 1892, philosopher William James said this, all our life, so far as it has definite form, is but a mass of habits. You know, we tend to think that we go through life making decisions. In 2006, a Duke University researcher found that more than 40% of our actions each day were not actual decisions. They were just the response of habits. See, habits are how we function, how, how we live. Let me, let me move this over in what it means to be a Christ follower. Let me say it this way. Developing the right habits is really at the very heart and core of following Christ. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible defines spiritual maturity as being like Jesus. That's God's goal for us, according to Romans 8, 29. And the way we become like Jesus is to live like Jesus. And that happens as we develop habits. Let me show you two passages. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, discipline really is another word for habit. And so that tells us becoming like Jesus means that we have to develop life habits like Jesus. Colossians 3, 9, and 10 says, You have put off the old self with its habits and have put on the new self, which God is continually renewing in his own image to bring you to a full knowledge of himself. Paul is saying that real spiritual growth only happens as we develop godly habits. And godly habits only happen as we put off old habits and put off new habits. Does that make sense? I'm going to kind of ask you, okay, it's 11 o'clock service. I've been talking quite a bit today, and I'm not sure if my voice is going to make it. So the more encouragement you give me, the better off you will be. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you'll get to eat lunch earlier. I don't know. But it's going to be an interesting uh, thing to see if we get there. Spiritual growth always requires habits. Now, in 2012, a man named Charles Duhigg published a best-selling book called The Power of Habit. It's a very fascinating book. I don't know if you've read it. It's uh, it's a secular book, 
but it looks at a lot of different things regarding habits, how habits form neurologically, how habits impact individual lives and organizations, even societies. And there are many, many things in this book, but maybe one of the most interesting insights is something he calls a keystone habit. Researchers have discovered that certain habits matter more than others in shaping our lives. Keystone habits work like this. They, they kind of set off a chain reaction that, that ripples out into other areas of our lives. Keystone habits catalyze new patterns of thinking and new patterns of acting. Here's one example. They've discovered that the habit of food journaling, just keeping track of what you eat, besides being kind of humiliating sometimes, <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> you guys whiffed on that one. I'm just telling you, I gave you a shot. Uh, food journaling, keeping track of what you eat, causes people to see patterns and recognize tendencies. And people who journal what they eat start planning their menus differently. They start exercising more often. There are other things that begin to change all because of this one habit. It impacts many areas of our lives. Well, for Christ's followers, the chief keystone habit is the habit of Bible intake. Now, Bible intake, this is all of the ways that we get God's word into our lives. And I'm kind of wondering this morning, if we really grasp how crucial God's word is to every part of our lives. You see, everything grows from, everything builds on what we do, each one of us, with God's word. Just, just start with knowing God and, and following God. You cannot know who God is. You cannot grasp who God is and, and who we are and what it means to follow God apart from the regular intake of the Bible, God's word. Uh, are you aware of, are, are you living in the reality of the, the, the power of the word of God? You know, the very first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, tells us that by his word, God created the universe. God spoke and chaos became order. Darkness became light. Life and beauty arose just because God spoke his word. Do you realize that what God did in creation, he wants to do in your life Every day of your life, through his word, he wants to bring life, that word which is so powerful, that word which is so beautiful, so essential. We're told in Deuteronomy, man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We're also told in Deuteronomy that God's words are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Do you see this book, God's word, as your life? We're told that, that, that we should build our lives on things that last. And Isaiah 40, verse 8 tells us, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. God's word is good. God's word is lovely. God's word is sweet, the Bible says. Do you look at it like that? Psalm 19 tells us, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Do you hunger for God's word? Do you long for God's word? Jeremiah 15, 16 says, 
When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Job 23, 12 says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Some of us want to be successful in life. Anybody want to be successful in life? Well, the Bible says the way you're successful in life, Joshua 1.8, is this. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God's word. As a matter of fact, we cannot even understand ourselves, know who we are apart from God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. Some of us are living in deception about who we are. We don't know ourselves because we haven't allowed God's word to break us open and expose us to the reality of our hearts. Jesus said in John 8, If you hold to my teaching." You're really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. You see, all these passages and so many more tell us that Christ's followers must be people of the word. We must be people who read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it. Our thoughts and our lives must be soaked and saturated by God's word. What we think, how we act, everything about us should be driven by God's word. And that's what Bible intake is about. You know, Bible intake involves many areas. Reading is the most basic, studying also, memorizing sometimes, meditating on it. But here's where I want us to head today and focus on all those things are part of the process, but the end goal is always going to be application, obedience, doing what God's word says. If we're going to see our lives change, we need to be people with the habit of applying, of living out what the Bible teaches us. And anybody want to be honest today? Isn't this the area where we all too often fall short? You know, we live in an age where we're just bombarded by information, so much information all the time, every moment of every day. And have you ever noticed how much of that information is advice that is telling us how we ought to live, how to eat, how to exercise, how to dress, what you should wear and don't wear, you know, you shouldn't wear, uh, what technology we should purchase, what neighborhood we should live in. I mean, we get all this advice, so much of it, that I think sometimes it's easy for us just to ignore it. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine getting the wisest advice ever offered on a vitally important topic to your life from the world's leading expert on that topic. And you hear that advice and understand that advice. You agree with that advice, but you don't actually follow it. You never put it into practice. Nothing in your life changes because of that advice. Imagine you get investment advice from Warren Buffett. Anybody here would, you know, kind of like to have Warren Buffett be your personal financial counselor? Any, you know, anybody here? Um, imagine he, he's there, he's available, he tells you what to do, but you never build a budget, you never invest a dime, you never buy a stock, never do anything he says. Imagine getting singing advice from Simon Cowell. It would probably be an unpleasant experience, but... He's an expert. Imagine getting that advice. 
You never take lessons. You never practice. You never do anything that he says. Imagine the elders here at Southwinds were concerned about my health, and they say, Mike, you know, you're 56 now, and as you move into your older years, we, we don't want you to become Pastor Flabby, and uh, we don't want you to start having furniture problems, Pastor Mike. You know where your chest drops into your drawers, and they give me a book on bodybuilding by Arnold. It's called How to Have a Body Like Arnold. And the, they say, this book is fantastic. This book can change your life. And I say, thanks. And they come back two months later and they ask me how it's going. I say, hey, it's a great book. I've read the whole thing front to back. In fact, it's so good. I've, I've been doing my daily devotionals in it, you know, reading one page at a time. I've even memorized a few lines. I've got them right up here. And I've started meeting together with a group of guys on Friday for breakfast, and we talk about the book over bacon and eggs and biscuits and gravy and hash browns and bacon and waffles and pancakes with blueberries and sticky cinnamon buns and bacon. And I say, no, no, no. That's not what we're asking. Are you doing the book? And I say, what do you mean? Well, they say, are you... Are you doing the exercises? Are you lifting weights? Are you actually doing what the book says? And I say, well, duh, obviously not. That would take work. That would require pain. I mean, I agree with the book. I believe everything in it. I just don't do it. Here's the question. How many of us actually in reality treat God's word like that? We agree with it. We just don't do it. The direction of my own life changed rather dramatically in the fall of 1978. I had just graduated from high school. My family was living in Southern California. Uh, I was preparing to attend the University of Southern California on a journalism scholarship. I had big plans to become a journalist, and I hoped I could write for Sports Illustrated one day and had all these things going together. But at the last minute that fall, right before school started, circumstances prevented me from going to school and I had to stay out of here. And during that time, I was forced to ask some hard questions about my life. Uh, during this time, I began to seek God's direction for my life in a way I never really had before. And as part of my searching, I began to read the Bible in a way I never had before. My dad, who is a pastor, had told me that if I would read three chapters of the New Testament every day, I could read through the entire New Testament every three months, four times a year. And I started doing that. That continued to be my pattern for a number of years, through the New Testament, four times every year. Someone else had advised me that it was a good idea not just to memorize individual verses of the Bible, but to commit chapters of the Bible to memory. And I started doing that. And over a period of several months, as I was reading God's word and memorizing God's word, slowly I began to sense that God had a different direction for my life than what I had planned. By early 1979, it became clearer and clearer to me. And at one point, early in the year, I knew that God was calling me to become a pastor. Now, I often refer to that period of my life as my brainwashing because really I look back on it and I see that during that time, God used the, the, the water of his word to wash my mind and wash my motives and wash my thoughts and just direct me in the way he had wanted me to go, to get my life ready to live the life he had prepared for me to live. 
One of the chapters that I memorized during that time was James 1, included the verses we're going to be looking at in a moment. Now, I want to be really, really clear. I'm not saying that if you get serious about reading God's word and living out God's word, God's going to call you to be a pastor too. Uh, That was just his plan for my life. But what I want us to see is that God wants his word, every one of our lives, to guide us and shape us and transform our lives so that we're living out what he has for us. And the truth is, the reality is, you know that it's true. So many of us, that's not happening. And for many of us, it is simply because we don't have the habit of Bible intake. And so today's message is about challenging all of us to be people who are taking God's word into our life and then living God's word out into this world. Now, in James 1, verses 18 through 27, James talks about the word and By this, he means the teaching of the Bible about God's will for human life. And he confronts us with this question. Am I going to just listen to God's word and agree with those words? Or will I actually step out in faith and will I actually pay a price to do what God says? Have I reached a point in my life where I am saying doing what Jesus tells me to do is the most important thing in my life and I will jettison everything that gets in the way of that? Am I going to be a hearer of God's word only, or am I going to do God's word? This is an incredibly important decision, and some of us haven't made that decision yet. You know, Jesus goes right at this point at the very, very end of his most famous talk, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. He talks about our tendency to hear God's word and not do it, and he paints this unbelievable picture. This is what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand." The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, Jesus says, if you build your life on my words, you will build a life that lasts, and the storms of life that will come, they come to every life, will not tear it down. But if you hear what I say and you fail to do what I say, storms are going to come sooner or later, and your life is going to crash. That's what we're talking about today. That's what I'm challenging each of us about today. And you have to make a decision about this. You're never going to just drift into this by accident. There are three principles that James gives us that help us see, guide us in applying God's truth to our life that I want to show you today. And I I want you to see this is a habit. This is a practice. This is something you train to do. Here's the first principle. James says in verses 18 to 21, we need to prepare our lives to apply God's truth. Prepare your life to apply God's truth. This is what James writes, verses 18 through 21. He says, you, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, and that's God's word, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. 
Now, it might be good to think about this paragraph kind of as preparation, some stages of preparation that we need to take in our lives to be ready to hear God's word and live it out. And the key is verse 21, where James says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You might want to underline or circle that word accept. It could be translated receive. And James is just saying we need to have a receptivity, an openness to God's truth. This word is actually in Greek a hospitality term, which kind of literally means just to come on in, welcome. To actually do what God's word says, we have to first welcome God's word into our lives. And James is using a picture here, an illustration. He says, God's truth is planted in you. It's a picture of a garden and seed, and the Bible often compares itself to seed. Jesus told that parable of the sower and the seed. you remember that? He said the word of God is like a seed, and it gets planted in our hearts. And he's talking about this deal where you can have two seeds, exactly the same seed, and they get planted in different locations. They have totally different harvests. How is it? That two people come to the same service and hear the same message and leave with very different responses. One change, the other person saying, I didn't get anything out of that. It often has to do, one soil is prepared, the other isn't. James says we need to be prepared. And he gives us kind of four attitudes we need to deal with to be ready to change. He says, first of all, we need to work hard at listening Verse 19 says, be quick to listen. In other words, give God's word your full attention. Be alert. Don't miss what God is saying. He says, be slow to speak because, you know, when I talk, I'm not listening. Have you ever noticed that when you're talking, you're generally not listening? Have you ever noticed that with your spouse? Women, you can feel free to chime in right now. When we talk, we're not listening. I don't know if this happened with you, but mom always used to say, God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we ought to listen twice as much as we talk. Some of you had a mom like mine. And, uh, and many of our problems with God's word, as in life, are because we're talking and we're not listening. And then he says, secondly, push back at anger. Verse 19 also says, be slow to become angry. And this just reminds us that when we're angry, when we're resentful, we don't hear much. Have you ever noticed that? Anger and bitterness is a, an emotional barrier to receiving things. It kind of keeps us, it blocks us from interacting with people. It blocks us from hearing God's word. Some of us are asking, why does God never speak to me? Well, maybe you've got anger and bitterness and resentment in your life, and it's a barrier between you and God. Third, he says, come clean with your sin. Verse 21 says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Uh, Someone said, before you plant seed, you need to pull weeds. And the word filth here um, is connected to a Greek word that means earwax. Kind of gross, I know, but sin is kind of like that. It keeps us from hearing. And God says, confess your sins, open your ears so you can hear what he has to say. And then the fourth thing is foundational all, submit to God's word. Humbly accept the word of God planted in you. Are you open to what God says? Are are you teachable? Are you willing to be changed? Or are you defensive? Who do you think knows best how to live? You or God? Now, here's the reality. All Christ's followers have truth that God has implanted. All of us do if we know the Lord. 
And to experience a changed life, we need to begin by receiving and accepting, embracing what God has already put in us. Because if you're like me, there are things in your life where you already know what you should be doing. You already know, but you're not doing it. Uh, When doctors do an organ transplant, whether it's a heart or a kidney or lung, they finish the procedure, they sew everything up, and you know what happens next? They wait. They wait to see if the body will accept this new organ because it's in there. It's all connected. It's all tied in, glued up. You know, everything's there. But will the body use the organ in the way it was designed? Will the body apply the organ or will the body reject it? And if the body says, not going to use it, then it's almost like, it's really like it's not even there at all. I want you to write something down. I want you to think about it when you go home. The mark of a God-changed heart is you love to have God tell you how to live. And the emphasis is on that phrase, you love. You love to have God tell you how to live. Is that where your heart is? You see, a lot of us find ourselves, maybe we don't even realize we're doing it, but we find ourselves like here and God's word is here and we're standing above the Bible and we're standing in judgment on the Bible and anytime we pick and choose what we will and won't obey, we're deciding you know, what part of God's word really applies to us. The Bible never allows for that. The Bible says it's always this way. God's word is above us and it stands in judgment on our lives. We need to be people who are submitting to God's word. I'm going to tell you something. This is very, very practical, and some of you may not like it, but but part of submitting to God's Word is disciplining your life to read God's Word regularly. And here's what I'm saying here. I want to be real clear. If you have heard and you know that you should have a plan to read God's Word and you should be interacting with God's Word, you know, in a systematic and a thorough way, and you have chosen not to do that, in other words, you don't have a plan, you're not submitting to God's word. You have chosen not to make God's word a regular and disciplined part of your life. Part of humbling yourself before the word of God is disciplining your life to hear the word of God. See, we need to be people who take it that seriously. And we need to start by preparing our heart attitudes so that we're ready to hear what God has to say. Second principle that James shares with us is this. Do an honest evaluation of your life. Verses 22 to 25 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. I want to give you a question that would be a really good idea for you to ask yourself on a regular basis. Every Christ follower should be asking themselves this question, and it's this. Am I actually doing what God tells me to do? Am I actually doing this? We all need honest evaluation because it is so easy for us just to listen and not to do. It is so easy for us to deceive ourselves. 
And that's why one of the important applications you could take away today is all of us really should memorize and should meditate on verse 22. It's a key verse. This word deceive that James uses is actually a mathematical term. It, it literally means to reckon wrongly. James is saying, you've added all the numbers up and you've come to the wrong conclusion. There's an error in your calculations. If you think, if you think that you can hear and you can agree and that makes for real faith, that makes for obedience, you've deceived yourself. James is really saying to us, 2,000 years later, I know what you're like. You think you get points just for listening, just for agreeing, but you've got to do it. You've got to obey. Don't deceive yourself by thinking that just because you said amen, that's all you need. You have to obey. You know, we come to Southwinds from a lot of different backgrounds, and there are some of us here who grew up in traditions you know, where it was like if you just showed up at church, if you just got yourself in the building and you went through the rituals, just being there somehow made you more blessable, right? And it was kind of like God was happy with you. And if three people had to have a wreck that week, you would not be one of them because, you know, you had done the deal. Like a good luck charm almost. Some of us grew up in traditions where we had these things called revival meetings, and in these meetings, we, we thought we had a real spiritual experience if we really got our toes stomped on, you know, hard. In other words, the preaching made you feel guilty. And the more guilty you felt, the more spiritual you felt. You, you kind of think that guilt in itself has spiritual value. You, you kind of think that you're closer to God when you feel guilty. And James is telling us that's self-deception if that's all it is. Then some of us grew up in like note-taking churches where it's about gathering information, about learning doctrine. And if you know enough of the Bible, then you're close to God. That's what God wants. But you, you see, it's not just any of these things. If it's not obedience, if it's not about doing, we just have this incredible capacity for self-deception and I want to encourage you, if you're not aware of this, if you don't know about this reality in your own life, become aware. See, we, we, we can so easily become selective doers where we pick and choose where we obey. Or sometimes we're people who are all focused on whether other people are doing it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're here right now thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here today. They really need to hear this message. And that's okay to think about. Sometimes you know someone who needs to hear a message, but if, if you're using that to deflect from your own responsibility to obey, you're missing the point. Sometimes I encounter people who I might call fair weather doers. In other words, they come and they follow. They, they seek to do what God says as long as their life is working. But sooner or later, it's inevitable. It happens to all of us. Someone comes into our lives and knocks us sideways, knocks us off our feet. And sometimes people like this, they just leave. Because life isn't working out anymore. James is saying any of those kinds of things, they're self-deception. We need to be people who obey and do what God says. And did you notice he uses kind of a physical analogy to show us our capacity for self-deception? He says it's, it's sort of like someone who looks in a mirror and then they just walk away and they forget what they saw. It's kind of a comical picture. It's meant to be a little humorous. Um, I was just thinking about it this morning, and, you know, I've asked the other services, I'll ask you too, you know, how many of you here today looked in a mirror before you came to church? You raise your hands. 
See, I'm, I'm pretty sure looking at you, with the exception of a couple of you maybe, that all of you looked at a mirror. I don't know. <laughs> now, wouldn't it be odd to look in a mirror when you get out of bed and see the mess that's there and then just walk away and not do anything about it? James says when we listen to God's word and we don't obey, that's what we're doing. He says it's so easy for us to deceive ourselves. read an article this week about the booming growth that's going on right now in our culture in, in one area of athletic clothing. This area is called athleisure clothing. Anybody know about athleisure clothing? It's like a, it's like a, a $100 billion a year business right now. And people are wearing more and more and more brands like Lululemon and Lucy and Lorna Jane. I don't know why they all start with L's. And a Gap Body and Athleta and Nike. And they're wearing these clothes everywhere, even to the office. I mean, I see you, yoga pants, even when I don't want to see you, yoga pants. <laughs> but the article said there's kind of a strange thing going on in this booming growth. They said... Most people are just wearing these clothes. They're not actually using these clothes for what they were intended for, right? The article says, this is a quote, for many wears, the athletic part of athleisure remains aspirational. <laughs> it's kind of a nice, fancy way of saying they don't ever exercise. <laughs> you know, it's apparently we like to look like we work out, but we really don't want to work out. Here's my question. How many of us kind of just like to wear a biblical brand, but we don't really live it? We, we look like it, we talk like it, but we're not really actually doing it. There's just this tremendous capacity for self-deception. In verse 25, James continues after his negative illustration. He gives us a positive illustration. He says, what you are to do is this. He says, you are to look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Now, literally, this verb, look intently, means to stoop down and bend over and peer into something. You're focusing. You're giving it careful attention. We are to examine God's truth with great care. It is God's perfect law. And James says, when we do that, when we obey, that's where freedom comes. He's just telling us anything less than obedience is a kind of self-deception. You know, one of the things that I can tell you when, we, when it comes to this habit of Bible intake is that I know at this stage in my life, that my life has been changed more than I can know because year after year after year now, going on four decades, I have continued to put myself in front of God's word, asking God to show me who I am. And I still miss it. I still deceive myself. I don't do the things always that God wants me to do, but I keep putting myself in front of that mirror. I keep asking God to show me who I am. I keep reading God's word, all of it, even the boring parts. In fact, I'll just tell you, the plan that I follow, July is a bad month. <laughs> July is when I get to First Chronicles. And it's not my favorite book in the Bible. But you know what I do? Instead of just saying, and I know a lot of people say, that's boring, I'm not even going to bother, it doesn't even make sense for my life, I don't get why that's there. Why would God do that? I don't do that. You know why? Because he's God and I'm not. 
And my working assumption is that God is way, way smarter, way, way wiser than I am. And even if I don't know why he put all those weird names in the Bible, all those pages and pages and pages of numbers and just information that seems irrelevant to me, even if I don't get it, it's his word. And if I don't get it, the problem is not with God's word. The problem is with me. And so I humble myself and I read it and I just trust that God's going to use it. And I keep going through God's word and I keep doing this again and again and again. You know, some of you are here today and your assumption is that you're going to have decades more to live, okay? I mean, that's not always true, but odds are you're young enough, you're going to live for decades. If this is you, I want to tell you today, you should have a goal in your life. You should have a plan in your life to read the Bible, a whole Bible, again and again and again and again. If God gives you decades, you should spend your whole life reading through his word again and again and again. Some of you may be here and you think, well, I probably have a short time to live. Then wouldn't you want to spend as much time as you could with what God gives you in his word so that you've read it as thoroughly as possible before you meet him face to face? It doesn't matter what place of life we're in. We need to be in God's word, looking into the mirror of truth, allowing God to speak to our hearts so that our lives can be changed. James says we are to, pe- to be people who continue to do this, not forgetting what we have heard, but doing it. And then notice that last phrase in verse 25, the person who does that, James says he will be blessed in what he does. You ever, if you ever wonder why you're not happy, why you seem to be missing out on God's blessings? Could it be that you're not practicing the truth of God that he's given to you the way he wants you to? Let me show you the last thing I want you to see this morning. We'll close with this. Number three, look for concrete ways to apply God's truth to your life. Verses 26 and 27 say, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, we don't have time today to go into these verses in depth, but I want you to notice the principle behind them. Developing habits always involves getting a routine. And what we're seeing here are some specific examples of patterns of ways we can put God's truth into practice. James has kind of given us three examples. Maybe you could think of them as three categories for you to apply God's truth, okay? Three areas. Let me characterize them this way. James says, first, we are to have a controlled mouth. He says, Uh, keep a tight rein on your tongue. Let me just take a survey. I asked the other two services, just want to see where the 11 o'clock service fits in with our other two services. How many of you would be willing to say, you know, in the last, say, week, I probably have sinned, I don't know, once or twice, who knows, maybe a little more with my mouth. Would you be willing to raise your hand on this one here? Said something you shouldn't have said. That's pretty much all of us, right? Anybody think we could use some application work in this area? 
So a controlled mouth, that's an area for us to apply God's word. Second is a caring heart. It's about other people around us, orphans and widows in their distress. Are you looking for ways to apply God's word in the world around you? And then a clean mind. Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, without these things, James says, our religion is worthless. What he's really telling us is there's two paths you can walk down. You can just be a hearer of the word, and hearing's a good thing, It's a good thing you're here. It's a good thing you're under the teaching of the word. That's not a bad thing, but it's not the only thing, and it's not meant to stop there. You need to be a doer of the word. That's where life transformation happens. I want to close by giving you three things to do, okay? Three things to do that'll help you have a path to apply what we've been talking about in your life. I'm going to put them all up in the on the screen at the same time. The first one is make time. You gotta make time. And so many of us have not made time. Do you know, according to the statistics, the average reader, or average reading speed, if you take that and apply it to the Bible, the average reader can read the entire Bible in 71 hours. That's less than an hour and a half a week. And you say, well, I'm a slower reader than that. Okay, let's say you read half that speed. That's 142 hours. That's less than three hours a week. Is there anybody here who would, you know, like dare to tell me that you haven't spent at least three hours watching TV, checking Facebook, posting on Instagram, binging on Netflix, playing Candy Crush? Do I need to go on? You can make, everybody can make time And if you truly cannot make time, then you have another problem with your schedule because you've allowed something to be bigger than God. Second, make a plan. You need a plan of some kind. It doesn't even matter at one level what it is. We have plans you can pick up in the the rack in in the back in the lobby. You can get on the way. So many of you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone already. That app has hundreds, literally, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of different plans. Just pick one. You say, well, I don't have a smartphone. I just have a dumb phone. It's not on my phone. Let me give you a plan. You can read all four Gospels in the book of Acts between now and the end of the year. I checked. There's 154 days between now and the end of the year. You better start your Christmas shopping pretty soon. And there's 117 chapters in those five books. You can read a chapter a day, and you have seven days to miss a month. That's a plan. If you want a plan, say, I have a plan. Everybody can have a plan. You just need to get a plan. You need to get a plan. And then third, you need to do something today. Anything. Do something. If you need an idea, I'll mention again what I said earlier. Memorize James 1.22. It's a good place to start. Real life, real transformation happens when we do God's word. This is what he's telling us today. Hear the word of the Lord. Do the word of the Lord. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks today that you and your holiness and we in our sin, that you would still love us so much that you would give us your word. Lord, thank you most of all that you sent us your living word, Jesus, your son, so that we could learn who you are and we could learn how to live. 
We ask you, Father, today that you would strengthen us to be doers of your word, not hearers only. For your glory in this world, for our good in our own lives. And Lord, we ask all of these things now in the the name of your son, Jesus. Precious name of Jesus. We ask these things. And all God's people together said,